Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Get inspired Monday and Friday right here on your favorite inspirational show. And don't forget about that Friday praise break. Get inspired through encouraging words, special guests, and the inspirational moment where you, the listener, get a chance to be on air. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. Uh, can you tell me a little bit how that process went uh, with you all there being able to come home under the CARES Act? Incarcerated Mothers Matter Radio Show. We're online 24-7. You're listening to the hottest school radio station on the planet. Uh, you know, been a while. But um, I know they, you know, offered like the parenting classes and, you know, some other things that, you know, also taught you you know, how to address different subjects, you know, to the children. Blog Talk Radio. We apologize for the technical difficulties in our studio. You are now live on Tri Family Channel, Incarcerated Lives at excuse me, Incarcerated Mothers Matter. CEO Daphne Patterson, please take the calls. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope everyone is doing well tonight. Uh we have an exciting show for you. Um we have a wonderful guest that I'll be introducing um in just a minute. Um, just wanted to just give you a little update of what we have going on um, here at Incarcerated Mothers Matter. You know, uh, our program is designed to help those mothers and children uh, seek the maternal bond that is missing, and it just helps to nurture the family relationships. Uh, we also are able to provide resources that are able to help uh, our ladies that are incarcerated and families uh, get back on their feet uh, while they're inside and once they get ready to um, come home. Um, just trying to maintain the family unit uh, as it was intended to be. Um, quick note, you can follow us on Facebook at Incarcerated Mothers Matter. And also, you can follow us on Instagram. It is incarcerated underscore mothers underscore matters. Uh, please um, like us and follow us on these platforms. We plan to always have good information for you and always planning to share. Uh, also, I just want to uh, give a shout out for a second chance for real. Um, this agency helps to help incarcerated people and people that are not incarcerated that need to file motions uh, to be able to do clemency paperwork, uh, compassionate release paperwork maybe for a loved one, uh, also the elderly release home confinement program. Uh, we also uh, can help people to do the paperwork to get their records expunged. Um, as well as giving you information on the First Step Act and the CARES Act that were enacted uh, during um, the COVID virus. Uh, also, you can reach us by phone at 716-495-6756. Now, on to our awesome guest that we have tonight. Uh, she is an awesome woman of God. And we also know her as the Preacher Lady. Uh, I was very, very blessed on my journey to um, meet um, Cassiana. And without further ado, uh, I give to you Cassiana Fogus. Hey, guys. Hi, Cassiana. Hi. Thank, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. And I just can't wait to hear your uh, wonderful story. And also just letting the listeners know about a quarter till the hour, uh, we will open the lineup 
for taking questions, and you can put your hand up by dialing pound one, and we'll be able to see your number, and we'll be able to answer questions then. All right, Tatiana, you have the floor. Well, thank you for the opportunity, um, and I just want to say um, great job on just coming out here and um, after all that you've been through, we all been through, you're still out here pushing and you're reaching back to um, help others in our situation or what we've been through. But I commend you for that. So I appreciate the opportunity to uh, tell my story and thank you for providing this platform. I'm I'm very grateful and proud of you at the same time. So um, thank you, sister. You're welcome. Um, my journey started uh, in 2016 um, when I got a call, uh, actually not a call, but a knock at the door. And uh, I believe at the time I, it, was, it was such a, a surreal moment. I counted nine feds with guns drawn um, at my doorstep. And uh, they knocked on the door, and um, they had a warrant out for my arrest for conspiracy to traffic cocaine across state borders. Uh, My first initial, um, uh, you got the wrong person. This is, I'm not a drug dealer. I sell real estate. I'm in the music business. There's no way that you guys can charge me with such a thing. Um, I was never that frightened in the moment because when you know you didn't do something or whatever they accused you of doing, um, it it was God, too, that gave me that calm, and, you know, they had uh, my wrong name on the um, warrant. Um, to this day, the name they had on the warrant went and followed me through the BOP. That is not my real name. Um, that Same thing not, happened with me, Tatiana. Wrong it, name. It, it, wrong name, and... Um, needless to say, a wrong birth date was on the piece of paper, um, and it was the right it was the right last name, and um, the ID that they had or the driver's license when they showed it to me, it was me. So I didn't fight the fact that hey, you guys had all these uh, mistakes on here. Let's go figure this out because you know I never thought anything of it. Um, Fast forward through the whole situation, um, I stayed in county jail for six days, actually approximately about five days till I had my bond hearing. Um, went to the bond hearing. The judge gave me a signature bond. This case was out of South Carolina. Um, it was not out of Atlanta, but I lived in Atlanta. And throughout this whole process of uh, discovery and I've never been in trouble in my life. I've never gotten, uh, I've never spent a day in jail. I've never, I've gotten a speed ticket before, but that's the extent of my violations of the law. And in going through this process, I never knew what conspiracy was. I never knew um, anything that implicated the federal system. I did not know that, you know, now, looking back, I knew that God put the right people in my path to protect me. Basically, when mm-hmm. you're up against the federal government and you are up against the feds, the the matter is you're going down. It's not a, a matter of guilty or not guilty. It's a matter of how much time you're going to do. Because right now uh, they have a 98.9% conviction rate. And for them yeah. to have that, in order to even indict you, they go before a grand jury and show them the evidence they have against you, and that grand jury determines at that moment if they have a, a, a liable uh, a warrant to come arrest me or anybody else for that matter. So in this process, I didn't know all these things. Um, right, I was right. fortunate enough to have a a pro bono lawyer that was appointed by the court, and he advised. He gave me the best advice according to my discovery and everything else. Now, once I saw my discovery and I saw what this case was about, because I, out of all the people on my case, I only knew one. And at the time, there was twenty-eight people's names on my indictment, and 
to know only one person and <laughs> to be so implicated in the matter that it didn't matter at this point. At this point, it was a matter of guilty or not guilty. Are you going to trial or not going to trial? And they they came and, and we went through the process. Now, let's talk about the actual charge and let's talk about what I was implemented in. I got on the phone and I made a phone call, introduced one person to another, and that was my response. I took responsibility for introducing one person to another person. And I was aware of what the conversation was about. They had me on a recording. Um, because I was on that recording and whatever transactions were made at that point and I knew about it, no matter if you touched it, I didn't make a, a dime out of the situation. I, did, I was not a drug dealer. It was a clear occasion of introduction, and I was aware. Now, was money exchanged? Absolutely not. Could they track my bank account and see that I was not a drug dealer? I was into real estate. I was a broker uh, in the real estate world. I had a great success that year. As a matter of fact, all those years leading up to that, um, I was really in the community. I was in the church community. I was married at the time. And... To make a long story short, I pled guilty to the conspiracy of trafficking cocaine across state borders because I was on that phone call. Now, even in my plea agreement, when I signed that plea agreement, I knew that this is what I have to do, this is what I have to own up to, and as a first-time offender, nonviolent, no guns involved, no nothing, I really thought, you know, I'm going to go with 20 months or six months tops in prison, and I ended up with 42 months in the feds, and um, they gave me three uh, years probation. The, my total sentence was supposed to be 72 months. Actually, it was more than 72 months. Um, this whole process of going to prison, and also because they – had the wrong name, they could not find me in the system. That is how I ended up in Aliceville, Alabama, at the immigration prison because they thought I was an immigrant and I, they couldn't find me in the system. All your information did not match. So while I was in prison, um, they actually sent to behind the fence at a higher uh, 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 max prison, did not camp. I did 11 months behind the fence and the rest of my time at camp. And after camp, I went to the halfway house. From the halfway house, I came home. Um, I went in June 27th of 2017. I transferred at camp June the following uh, year. Um, um, after that, I came home to the halfway house January 21st of 2020. And I was out of the halfway house June 12th, 2020. And Monday, this past Monday that just passed, um, and Ms. Daphne, I don't think you know this. I'm sharing this with you right now. Um, the judge uh, agreed with the, the motion that was filed to release me from my probation 18 months early. So I am oh, completely awesome. Praise God. After 72 months of, of, of dealing with the feds, Monday was my first official day that I was released, my probation officer was amazing in supporting me with and pushing me to file for early termination. And um, March 15th of 2022 was my first day I woke up as a free woman, complete free woman. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so happy for you. So happy. Thank you. Um, just, you know, people don't understand um, the steel control that you're, um, you know, you're still under, even though you're out of the um, prison, but still at home. The things are even stricter on you <clears throat> when you're home on home confinement or on probation than it is, uh, you know, when they have you there, you know, because any little thing can send you back. So, oh, yeah. And um, I, that's I, what I, we I, talked I, about yesterday. I, even today, like if I told you, like the first on on the fifteenth, which was uh, 
what what's today the seventeenth? So Tuesday, mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. can't. I was I I couldn't even do anything. I don't even know how to feel right now. Like it's a surreal moment, but right. the fear of making a mistake and at any time because in prison right. your fear of a mistake you're gonna lose good days and you're not gonna go home or you're gonna go and get extra time. Then you have fear at the halfway house that they can send you back if you don't do what you're supposed to do. And a lot of times it's not that you're a, you're actually getting up in the morning to do. You never know how the rules are going to change. You don't know what quota they got to hit to be able to keep because it's job security for these people. And one thing exactly. I have learned in this whole situation, you know, these officers, these people, these wardens, everybody's, Got life. They're doing. They're doing life with you in prison as well. They got a job yeah. to do, I guess, and that's how they feed their children. So it's like it, it, it's a it's a dangerous situation to be on on both sides. Right, right. It is. You know, it is dangerous. And uh, you know, with that, I I know being a first time offender, um, <clears throat> it is so different with the federal system than with the with the state. Because, you know, with first-time offender and, you know, in most states and and uh, your first-time offender, you know, it, it can be where either you get probation and then you do probation and then it comes off your record, you know, and everybody gets a chance, you know, to have that one mistake, whatever. But then with the federal system, it doesn't matter. They don't give you that one chance for uh, that one mistake. And with a lot of people, even if they've had past mistakes that have been many years ago, they will still count that against people with their new crime. And it's like, you know, where is it fair that somebody's already paid, you know, did whatever paid for the other crimes that they're getting punished yet again, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I, so. I, I think that is all. Wrong because, and I'm going to make this statement because I saw it earlier uh, on a social media platform, and it was it was true. Right now, if if a I'm a convicted felon, I'm going to be a convicted felon for the rest of my life according to the way things are set up right now. That's number one. Number two, there's no parole in the federal system. A lot of people think that. There is a parole board and everything else. No, you have to do 5% of your time to be able to. 85%. 85%. So at the end of the day, there is no parole. There is no expungement of records, even after 17 years. To me, right now, everything in America, when it comes to a credit report, after seven years of bad debt, that thing can fall off and you start all over and you can declare bankruptcy. You can go through all these things so your financial record can be expunged and that's it. Right now, a transsexual in United States of America can change their sex from woman to a man or from a man to a woman, but a felon cannot change their life and, and be counted as let's start all over. Everybody can change their identity. Everybody can do other things. But a convicted felon, no matter how hard they work, no matter how long they've changed, if you had 10 years out of the system, it still counts against you. And also, a lot of times uh, uh, there's people or young men in the system right now, because I work with a lot of inner youth uh, in the in the juvenile systems, if, mm-hmm. if a young man had a state record when he was young and he's, he, he was just one of those people, and they've had mistakes as even did time in state. They use that record to to show that he's a repeat offender. And then when you you are in the federal system, you're caught up. You are guided. You you're done. And they're not they're not separating the both. But they're only no. separating when it comes to what happens after prison. If you did actually after seven or ten years get it expunged sometimes even sooner. But when it comes right. to the feds, they take that as ammunition. Right now I am fighting for a young man to get out. This is the first time he ever did fed. He did do state before. But because they used his record from state to call him a repeat offender, it might have been for the same thing. But at the same mm-hmm. time, why are you not separating the two at this moment? Right. Right. Because one has nothing to do with the other. Correct. 
and it's just so many, you know, and it's so many people. And like, like, you know, this is a separation of families as well. You know, this is keeping mothers away longer from their kids, fathers away from their children. And, you know, at the end of the day, the one that hurts are the ones that are at home. It's the kids. It's the family members that have to, you know, help you see about your children, you know, having to support you and support them. You know, those are the people that that are getting hurt from all of it. this while, you know, the system, they have workers. You know, we talked about this last week, you know, about, you know, how um, it's the institution labor, you know. And like you say, it's an industry. It's a money maker. That's how, you know, the system pays for itself is by having people, you know, incarcerated. That's how they make this whole system roll. You know, they'll say, oh, we get so much funding from the government, but it's not as much funding from the government as as far as the money that the prison system makes to take care of itself, you know, in a nutshell. Well, so that, well, you big- know. The the biggest thing is a cycle. If they can keep that revolving door open, and it, it does trickle down to the kids, and then the kids repeat the same. Because when you take the father from the home, you take the father, the provider, the the one. Because you know, I know the a lot of people. Yeah, they they they're they're there to to. To be there, like there's there's a lot of fathers out of the home, and there's a lot of mothers out here raising kids. But no matter what, a woman cannot raise a man, and a man can raise a little girl. It, it you can raise and provide for it, you can do all these things, but there's still something missing. When you take a mother out of the household, you're taking the nucleus out of the household, the one that yeah. keeps things together. And I've seen sentences that women got life off of first-time offenders, nonviolent drug charge. They got life because either they didn't snitch or they got life because they didn't have a proper representation because of the, the, the neighborhoods they came from. And I have seen people's cases that were exactly like mine, and they went to trial and got life. Mm-hmm. And because I pled, I got three and a half years in prison. So at the end of the day, wasn't the system designed when you're talking about taking it to trial to have a fair trial? When you see these statistics and you're seeing that the person that actually went to trial to exercise their rights as a human being in the United States as a citizen, you're getting penalized because you went to trial and because you pled out you're getting a lesser time. Now, I am fortunate, and I thank God every day for the opportunity that I had in that moment to say that I had the proper representation, the proper counsel, and with a lot of prayers, I was able to make the best decision for my life at that moment. And I am fortunate enough to know that, to be honest with you, in my case, prison saved my life. It opened my mm-hmm. spiritual eyes, opened up my mind to things that I never knew about, to be able to come here and tell other women's stories that are in there and are coming home that don't have the opportunities that we had or the education or the family or even the belief in Jesus Christ to be able to come out of the situation. So I know that God works all things together for good for those who are called according yeah. to his purpose and that love him. So I'm not sitting here and I don't never want nobody to give me no pity party or none of us that survive. This is right. God gets the glory of every situation, but we have to highlight the problems that we see in the system right now. Yeah, because that, that is the only way, you know, they always say knowledge is power. So the more we can get out there and tell stories and People kind of understand more because, uh, you know, uh, media, uh, TV, movies, they all sensationalize uh, going to prison and what it's like and different things. And, and it's, it's none of that. I didn't experience any of that of what I would see on TV. And if I even watch a show now that has a prison scene and I see what goes on, I just laugh because I know it's, it's you know, 
what I experienced was nothing like that, you know. So, um, you know, where I was, uh, I was in um, at, you know, a camp that, you know, was nicknamed the Federal Prayer Camp, you know. So uh, with, you know, a lot of people, they thinking that, oh, you know, it's a lot of violence, it's a lot of, you know, rape, you know, stuff. And I'm sure it's places that it is, things like that, but, like you said, we, you know, we were fortunate and blessed to be able to be placed, uh, you know, in places that were, you know, conducive to who we were. And I do credit God for that because, you know, he knows what we can stand and he knew who he wanted us to see. He knew who he wanted us connected with. Um, and at the time, I know with me, I didn't understand um you know, why I was going through this, I had done nothing but really, you know, just help, you know, help patients and stuff like that. It was just, you know, one person made a mistake and I own my business. So guess what? It, it was my responsibility because I owned my business. And, um, you know, even with that. So, you know, I see it that, you know, it was something that God wanted me to learn from people to see some connection and more and more every day. Now I see my purpose, you know, I see the new purpose that he had and I'm taking everything that I went through and everything that I learned when I was away and, you know, trying to help, like you said, help others, you know, help them make it through to let them know, Hey, yeah, you're going through this, but it, it can be a light at the end of the tunnel. You just have to keep in prayer, keep your head up and, you know, and keep focused. You know, because I, I know coming home, it's, it's hard to, you know, get reestablished. It's, you know, you know it, it takes some time, but, you know, with prayer and time and support system and actually, you know, just teaching people how to start establishing that support system and that line, you know, before they get home, even if it, you know, sometimes your support system is not always you know, your family members, you know, it may be someone there on the outside that that's your support system, you know, that helps you through. I know with me, I think I became closer to you uh, when we met at the halfway house because you did help me. Uh, you know, at that time when I got there, you know, I was with my cane. I couldn't walk. I was in so much pain. And, you know, even at that time at the halfway house, I was put with people who were, were gracious and because they saw that I was humble and a believer, you know, so many doors open for me there and people were just so kind. And, you know, I felt like I had favor there, even in the situation, you know, even when I was at the camp, I always had favor, you know, wherever I went. So, you know, that was always like a blessing to me. And, uh, you know, even, you know, even to have someone to pray for you, someone, you know, just to be there for you, to say, hey, do you need me to bring your food to you? You know, those were the little <laughs> things that meant so much to me, you know, that people would not even believe, you know, they take those things for granted. But when when it's hard for you to walk 100 feet to go and balance a trade and come back, you know, that, that was a blessing to me. So now I incorporate now in my life the little things that make me grateful and thankful and, and blessed, and I try to stick to that routine that I was able to develop in the morning of giving God his praise and his time and then, you know, just getting him to order the steps for the rest of the day. You know, so it's, you know, it, it's been a journey, um, but um, this journey, I just still see that, you know, I'm on the road and it's it's a purpose. And I know you feel the same way, too, because I always see, you know, where even on your social media, whatever, you're always advocating for someone or, you know, you're always sending prayers. So, you know, I know your heart, you know. You know, and you, you know, and kindred spirits are always, you know, together. Thank you. Well, I, I'm going to tell you something. On this journey, while the Lord was working on us, sometimes I tell people all the time, God needs good people in prison, too, to do his work. Not everybody in prison is bad, number one. Number two, anybody can be redeemable. Anybody, whether it was a child molester, whether it was a killer. Now, have I been on the other side where somebody killed my loved one or 
or did anything to harm my loved ones or no, but I'm, I, I learned to be humble even more. First of all, that God mm-hmm. stripped me of everything. My name yes. was not even my name. Uh, my, my, everything that I worked for stripped away from me, took me away from my family, took me away from everything that I thought I was going to do. And I thought I was going to do it right. And, and, and I just, I just was on a roll, but, in that pause, God will allow you to see and open up your eyes. Be careful when you say, "Say, God, show me what you want me to see and hear what you want me to hear. Be careful. <laughs> because when he, he will let you see what he wants you to see and hear what he wants you to hear. But what is he's going to allow you to go through to get that vision and that hearing mm. is going to be something excruciating. And a lot of times mm-hmm. we say these things to sound religious and to say we're close to God and, and, and God use me. But when you, mm-hmm. he, you don't get to choose how he uses you. And when it happens, True. like the prison situation, you're just there like, wait a minute, hold on now. Uh, what, mm-hmm. What's going on? But you, you, mm-hmm. you see that he's with you this whole time. Yes. And he and me, you. my prayer was. <laughs> My prayer was for him to allow me to be a healer, you know. Guess what? Yep. That's what he continued to allow me to do is be a healer. That's, that's what I did, you know. Like you said, you know, you be careful what you ask for because he does give it to you. He yes. does. Yes. I mean, he gives it to you. And, you know, I heard so much, oh, this is just a test for you. This is just a test. And I would tell uh, people that told me that, I said, well, if it's a test, you know, why didn't he give me, and I wasn't thinking when I said, I said, well, why didn't he give me an open book test? And then I thought about it, and I said, he did give it to me. He gave me the Bible. Amen. And so once Amen. I started thinking about, okay, the test is there and the answers are there, you know, that's when I knew that, you know, what we were supposed to do. Right. So right. I, I, I get it. I, you know, like I say, it took some learning, but you know, I was I was able, you know, you know, to to get what was going on, you know. The biggest and so. Go ahead. I was just gonna ask you, um, what well, what are you doing now? Right now, to be honest with you, ever since Monday, knowing that I got off of everything, uh, six years exactly to the day. I am really taking this next couple weeks to kind of figure out, uh, even career-wise, I'm in real estate. Um, I have a consulting firm right now that uh, consults a lot of investors on the real estate market and development, and um, that's my profession at the time. And also I work with my father in his construction business. Uh, He has a commercial construction company out here in Atlanta. And through this, um, really advocating for the youth. Um, I'm advocating for a couple cases um, that I'm trying to highlight in the upcoming weeks. I'm trying to really get people from, you know, there's recalculation of time for their first step act. Um, Just educating a lot of people about the federal system because a lot of people, on a daily basis, people are getting indicted. On a daily basis, People need guidance through that first step. You know, a lot of people focus on the people that are in prison. um, Mm -hmm. And even now, there's some cases right now in prison that I'm working to see how, you know, working with the families and and guiding them on who to talk to or what to do. And I'm not a lawyer. I'm not, I cannot consider myself a legal expert because I'm not. I can only tell my story and, and, and talk about, what I know. The number one thing I always right. say, don't take it to trial. Whatever you do, don't take it to trial. And a lot of people will be like, you crazy. No, because these lawyers mm-hmm. promise you all these things, that they can do this and they can do that, and we have a great choice. And then $50,000 in, because to have a federal attorney is not it's not cheap at all. You, you can't get away no. with 510 So it, to save these people money and, and to get the families educated on I can only talk about a drug conspiracy case. And another thing about conspiracy is, you know, nobody talks about conspiracy. You know, a lot of people, well, where's the evidence? They don't need no evidence. Right. They don't. In my case, 
as long as they believe. Yeah, yeah, they if they believe the intent was there to conspire mm-hmm. to do this crime, it's a wrap. Now, in my situation, I'm not going to say they couldn't get me with conspiracy. In my situation, according to the way conspiracy is defined, yes, mm-hmm. I was part of that frame. I was part of the situation where now what they say I did and the amount and all this other stuff is not true. Because according to what they try to charge me with, I should have had millions of dollars somewhere, and I wanted to know where the money was at. Uh, yeah, tell me that's the money. Hey. And I just looked up the um, the definition, too, of federal conspiracy, and it said uh, it essentially means that a person, at least the government believes the person has uh, made an agreement with another person to co- commit a criminal act. You know, so it's, it's not even whether you did it or not. It's like you said, it's if they believe it or not. You know, and if yeah. they believe it, their belief supersedes anything. In in my case, they had to believe because they heard my voice, and that was my phone. And right. the person that testified against me, I mean, our, our, our testimonies matched. So in my case, I pled guilty because I know I was guilty. I was not right. going to sit there, and I'm not going to – I would never sit here and, uh, and say that I was innocent because I was right. not. I committed right. that crime according to the law. And at law. the end of the day, just because it was a phone introduction does not mean I was not there to know or didn't know. I, I couldn't lie like that. That, that was right, not my right. But right. for other people, they have a chance to fight conspiracy, number one. And my problem is if you're a first-time non-offender, you know, the, the, the sentences are way, the sentencing guidelines are way crazy, number one. And number two, Right now, to be honest with you, my passion moving forward will be to advocate for the women that are coming home and the men when it comes to our records, when it comes right. to exposing our records, when it comes to if I've done 10 years out of off probation, I should be able to, to, able to at some point or another be a free woman with a free record. Like, I right. can't hold certain licenses because of this record. Right, right. And let me ask you, with your conspiracy charge, did you have a mandatory minimum with that? There was, but because of, because of the way the crime and because I, it was something that happened in the meantime. It was a mandatory minimum, but because of mm-hmm. the way my my case was set up, um, I was right there in the middle. Judge Anderson was a fair judge. I commend him on what he did in my case. Even though I got 42 months, he went down the middle of the guidelines. Like, we went straight in the middle. I'm going to appease the prosecutor, and I'm going to appease you as well as far as being fair. Hey, can you describe for our listeners, like, what the sentencing guideline, just a, a, a basic what a sentencing guideline is in case there's some people who don't know what the sentencing guideline is? Well, depending on what you're charged with and depending on what you your crime level is, like there's one, two, three, like if this is your first charge, second charge, third charge, uh, depending on that, there's a guidelining table for um, for the federal system and according to the points you accumulate in the case, if you're at a 36, you have a specific, they'll probably give you from, I don't know, from 100 to 150. I don't know the specific uh, off the mm-hmm. top of my head. But if as you're cooperating or as you're uh, they're fighting the discovery or as you're pleading guilty, they, that's how they actually bargain with your time. They actually go from, okay, if you plead guilty and you don't go to trial and this is what we offer, we'll take you from 32 to 21 on the table. And then at 21, you'll have 36 to 42 months or 36 to 50 months. So the judge has that discretion as a guide on how to sentence you. But at the same time, the judge can go below or can go above. I've seen cases. 
where because they went to trial and they felt like they're wasting government's money, um, what ended up happening is a judge would probably get upset and go above the sentencing guidelines and sentence you to double your time or if, you know, something pisses somebody off. And a lot of times it's politics in the courtroom. Once again, I was fortunate enough to have a, a very fair judge. Um, I had a good lawyer, and at the end of the day, I I believe that I got a better deal than 80% of the people that I did time with that had the same charge that I had. Same type charge. Got it. Got it. Wow. Boy, you're doing so much with your, you know, being an advocate and, you know, trying to get your own life together. I know, you know, we're all working, you know, towards our own life and, you know, but it's just that passion that we have, you know, to keep the fight alive, keep it going, you know, and I don't know about you, but, you know, it, it's, it's just certain things that, you know, God put in your heart, you know, to keep it, you know, keep it moving forward. So, um, you know, that's the reason, um, you know, it's a passion for me. It's like I told you, you know, when I, I spoke to you the other day, I, I didn't know how I was going to make this platform um, do. I had no clue because I had never done a platform. I had never done a talk show, but I said, okay, God, you put this on my heart. So I know you're going to take, you know, you're going to take the road and, uh, um, you know, make it successful and, uh, so far, this is our third week, and, you know, we've been doing really, really well. And I think it's just important because there's so many people out there that, you know, just don't know how this system works, you know. And it's, it's made complicated with the codes and everything for you not to really be able to, you know, get your way through unless you, you know, went to school and that's all you do all day is look at case law. So, you know, a lot of us, you know, aren't familiar with case law and, you know, how you put that together. And I know, like, with me working with Second Chance for Real, I'm, I'm really learning on both ends. I'm learning a lot about case law in, in discussing uh, different cases with family members and, you know, options that they have, uh, you know, for different motions and being able to, uh, if not come home, you know, get, you know, get sentences reduced based on, like you said, the law, because that's what you have to really know to maneuver the system. You have to know the law to be able to, you know, apply different, um, you know, motions and reductions and, you know, things that um, may apply to you, you know, so you have to yeah. stay abreast. Of the biggest thing right now, too, it, what you're saying about because you've exposed to the law and you know certain things, I truly believe that camps are a waste of taxpayers' money. Everybody yeah. that's at camp has low, minimal risk. They need to mm -hmm. be sent home, either mm -hmm. send them to the halfway house, put them on an ankle monitor. And right now, even the halfway houses, they can't handle a lot of the stuff that they don't have enough either people to work these halfway houses. Mm -hmm. They don't have enough opportunities. Mm -hmm. And they're overwhelmed. I believe that right. everybody that's at camp right now needs to be sent home. Why? Because they're yeah. not doing anything. You don't have any places for them to work at so they can provide for yeah. themselves or even send money home for their kids. They're just sitting there and not really watching themselves because you only have one or two officers on staff to be able to watch such a – there's no cameras. There's, they're just there. Nothing. And Fair. the punishment is, is okay, let me send them six months to a year. Okay, I get it. I know there has to be some type of punishment and repercussion behind right. a person's mistake. But right now there's so many people with health problems that I can't even express to you the medical situation in the prison system. And right now people are at camp not getting medical attention. No. And it's not enough medical providers, and, you know, it's not enough medical providers on the street. So imagine how many medical providers there are, you know, in the prison system, you know. And, uh, you know, I know they're overworked, and, you know, uh, a lot of the equipment and stuff they use are is not new technology and new things that they trained on. So, you know, it, it's hard to get, you know, even medical personnel to, you know, to go there, you know, and work. 
So, of course, you got, you know, people that just not getting access to health care. And, you know, with COVID and, you know, I, I know with us, we were fortunate to miss uh, the big COVID outbreak that swept through the prison. But, you know, it was a lot of people who lost lives and, um, you know, still dealing with um, the after effects and it's still sweeping through, you know. And, you know, the statistics we talked about um, last week, you know, it's just so many people that, you know, it's getting denied, it's getting denied, you know, for them to be able to come home on home confinement to, you know, to finish up because they have medical issues. You know, that way, you know, it, it would increase the workload. Right. And and even with the from the health system and, and even coming home, the trauma these ladies and gentlemen went through, regardless, there's like, once again, I do not want to take away because a lot of people that have not been through the situation will say, well, you did the crime, you need to do the time. Mm-hmm. Even after the time, the trauma that you go through and the PTSD that you have when you get home and the things that you go through, you have a lot of people out here that are sick. And they're dealing with emotional and mental sickness that needs to be attended to, number one. And number two, it's a trauma situation from generation to the generation. Some people were revolving doors, and, and we got to bring healing to every situation, whether it's in prison, whether before prison, and after prison. And after, it, it, yeah. it's a lot of economic situations, too. We could sit here and talk for hours on why this stuff is a failing system, but... I know we're coming up on the time where we got to take questions, so here we are. Yes, yes. I'm um, waiting for the engineer to let me know if we have any callers out there. And um, if anyone has uh, a question that they want to ask, the only thing you have to do is um, is um, do uh, pound one. Uh, excuse me, one pound, and our engineer can get you through to ask any questions that you want to ask tonight. And once again, this is Daphne Patterson with Incarcerated Mothers Matter. We thank you all for uh, listening out for us tonight. Um, uh, We uh, also are... um, taking listeners uh, from, um, from the Facebook app as well. Um, so our engineer is uh, checking on that as well. So if you are a listener uh, through Facebook and you have a question, uh, we are on that right now. Let's see. Let's give it a check. Did you have one more thing you wanted to to just end us up with, Cassiana? While we're well, checking the other link. At this point um, in this transition, I'm grateful that um, God. I have to give Him the glory uh, for everything He has given all of us in in my journey. And also, I met some amazing ladies along this journey that I will forever fight for. Some that I left behind, somebody that I walked with, and some that will continue being friends for the rest of our life because it's a sisterhood number one. And also I want to give credit to my family that supported me through this whole process, my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, and a lot of other friends that um, they became family in this process. They wrote letters, and uh, the support that I've had in prison – and going through prison and the support that I had since being home. Um, I have a dear family that uh, provided a place of employment as soon as I got home. At the halfway house, I had a job of offer letter the first uh, day I landed in Atlanta at the halfway house. Um, Just the enormous support and the conversations and uh, the constant push that this is – this is not the end of my life. It's okay to start all over. And the embrace that I've had from the real estate community in Atlanta, um, it, it has been enormous. And like I said, I will forever uh, be grateful for the challenge, for the – even for in my disobedience, God still um, chose 
to use our stories to impact others, and I will forever, uh, with God's uh, favor and direction, be able to knock on doors. And uh, my number one thing is is Jesus. I don't. When you focus on making His name famous, things will. You know, don't worry about your name. Worry about His name mm-hmm. and everything that He do. Do and don't focus on the masses. Focus on that one. You focus mm-hmm. on that one, and I, I'm not after celebrity status. I'm not after. I just want to help one, one at a time. Mm-hmm. And if those ones multiply, and God decides to help others uh, through my story or your story, or anybody else, we have mm-hmm. to be content that God made you for such a time as this for that one. If it's one that you've helped, it was all worth it. Right. Right, because that's what where I always um, say, you know, even with being gone, you know, even if if I used to um, get up in the morning every morning and handwrite uh, daily scriptures and I would give them out all over the compound, I would handwrite like 200 different scriptures to give to people. And, you know, I'm like, if one scripture for one person for that day changed their life or made something better, I had did the job that, that I was called to do for that day. You know, and, you know, people will be like, oh, I wouldn't be handwriting. But, you know, when you are charged to do something, you know, you be obedient and you do it, you know. So Absolutely. so I, I, I understand and know that. that. Know that yeah. what you're doing matters. And a lot of times when you are called to do a, a, a thing for him and uh, mm-hmm. you have purpose, Sometimes you can get weary and well-doing, and it says do not get weary and well-doing. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you look at your situation and you're like, God, but look at my situation. Why are you sending me here when I don't have, you know, mm-hmm. God will always take care of his people. He will never leave you yeah. to take and, and when you just think that, that it might not happen, just know that God will suddenly bring in that miracle in your life and all the other ones, I know that the walls will come down, and I want to see everybody out of camp home. And even the women yes. that come home for God to give them jobs and restoration yes. of marriages, families, and children. And we got to get back to the family, the nucleus of what keeps a society going. And family is the number one thing people should focus on and 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 in the midst of that family, Jesus Christ needs to be present. And once you have the mother and father in a household and having that family together, things can change and turn around, and we can heal a nation by doing that. Yes, yes. And, you know, I really think, too, you know, I know uh, the pandemic and everything caused a big you know, uproar and everything, but, you know, I really think it was a a sign and a time to bring families back together because, you know, we were all so busy doing so many other things and, you know, not having dinner together and not, you know, I just think that was a time to just actually sit us down and, and put us, you know, put us together, you know, especially families, you know, you know, where you had time, you had to go do this and you had to go do that. Uh, you know, with with COVID, it really did, um, you know, allow us some time to see what was really important, you know. And uh, I know now they're opening back up and, you know, schools are opening back up and people are going back to work. But I um, often see um, when I'm looking on social media how, you know, so many people have changed their way of thinking and, you know, their home, you know, where they were going to jobs, you know, more people are protesting to stay at home, to work remote. A lot of people are opting to homeschool more because they see a better advantage, you know, so, you know, it was just a lot, you know. I know a lot of the churches and stuff closed down, but still, I think it reached more people because more people were able to, worship online, worship, you know, from home, you know, so I, I even think that that uh, was, you know, an inspiring fact uh, as well. And I know um, here with us at Incarcerated Matter, uh, Mothers Matter, uh, we will be working um, diligently 
um, with women and children, and we still have so many uh, other guests, too, that will be coming on, um, you know, with different resources. And I'm, I'm hoping Cassiana will be one of our regular people uh, to always come on <laughs> anytime time and give us inspiration um, yes. because I know you have truly been an inspiration to me. Uh, even on days when I was feeling down, um, it would be always like a prayer or something that would come. You would text me, and you didn't even know I was going through, you know, but, you know, the spirit knew. Uh, so when you have um, family and friends like that, you know, you can make it, you know, through anything, you know. And so I just want other people to, you know, be able to um, – find what we found in, you know, having family and support, even if it's not your blood family, you know, just um, being able to connect people with, you know, with family. Cause like I said, family is not always blood, you know, um, yeah. uh, family is those that are there for you thick and thin, doesn't matter, you know, and, and, and won't judge you, or, you know, about things yeah. that you're going through. Now, I know next week we will not be here um, uh, next week um, due to that uh, it's spring break week, so we'll have next week off, but we will be back on um, on the 31st uh, of, uh, of March. It'll uh, be our last day of the month, and we have an a awesome guest that will be coming on that um, also has an organization uh, where they do collection of uh, different soaps. They do uh, yearly soap drives uh, to be able to uh, collect uh, soap to be able to give to the different um, women in the prisons who can't afford soap. Uh, some people might not understand that it's like toiletries are like such a big issue for a lot of women because uh, they're so expensive and sometimes some people just don't have it to buy. So uh, she'll be uh, on talking to us about by her soap drive and um, the other different projects that she has uh, going on. And uh, you got any last words, Cassiana? No, I, I think I said pretty much everything. I, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. I will be back. Um, you just give me a ring. And um, one thing is for all the women that have come home and men, um, don't be so hard on yourself and know that healing that took place inside of prison can continue on the outside. And the hardest people to convince that you've changed is your family. So um, don't don't beat yourself up uh, about this transition and just trust God in the process and be at peace and uh, know that uh, discipline, faith in God, and hard work will get you uh, with the light at the end of the tunnel. All right. Well, that's a good note to end on, and I just want to thank everyone for tuning in with us tonight. I have enjoyed being here with you all, and I hope that the messages we are bringing are being an inspiration, and it is uh, messages that you can carry on um, every day and have a conversation uh, about on the next day. Um, Just remember, you can also hear the replay at uh, blog talk radio and also uh, we are on all the platforms um, like spotify amazon dot uh, com audible and so you can hear a replay of all of our shows so i hope you all have a wonderful uh blessed night and until i hear you guys again on the 31st take care good night just like a bird, I just want to fly free and own a piece of land somewhere, somewhere off in a country. Uh, can you tell me a little bit how that process went uh, 
with you all there being able to come home under the CARES Act. Incarcerated Mothers Matter Radio Show. We're online 24-7. You're listening to the hottest radio station on the planet. You know, been a while. But um, I know they, you know, offered like the parenting classes and, you know, some other things that, you know, also taught you, you know, how to address different subjects, you know, to the children. Get inspired Monday and Friday right here on your favorite inspirational show. And don't forget about that Friday praise break. Get inspired through encouraging words, special guests, and the inspirational moment where you, the listener, get a chance to be on air. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.